Welcome to the Technology Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Katoon. Today's show is brought to you, like many others, by Active Campaign. Go to activecampaign.com slash technori and get your first two months for free on me. Uh, technori obviously is a staunch user of Active Campaign and believer in CRMs. And the, the fact that we're talking about CRMs and marketing is probably a good segue into one world. Uh, Alex, I'm here with the founder. You guys are raising a round right now on Republic which is the uh, platform of choice for Technori and myself as an investor for going on since 2016. Um, you can go to, I believe, uh, republic.co slash digit one world dash online. Check out the term sheet. So far, they've raised $230,000, 820 investors at about 70 days as the time you guys see the 65 or so days left in the campaign. Uh, so without further ado, I want to welcome Alex first off uh, to Technori. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate being here. Um, so I'm interested in this company on a whole bunch of levels. Uh, obviously, I'm a, a media you know, entrepreneur to begin with. I've invested and own several different media companies and have worked with some of the best programmatic advertising companies out there and best being an operative word here, uh, best for what they can do. And uh, there's a reason I say it that way because One World takes a very different approach. Um, you know, we've worked with Centro, my friend, Sean Rigsecker. We've worked with Programmatic Mechanics um, and, and several other companies in this ilk. And they all sort of struggle in the sense that people don't like display ads. And, you know, we used to do a show at WGN Radio and um, I love him to death, but the account manager, Bob, would constantly try to get me to want to buy ad packages that would like pump my show out on CNN.com and on all these other random, random pages. And for the life of me, I just, I couldn't understand why he thought it was a good product because to me, the educated consumer who would be interested in technology and startups is someone who has ad blocker and probably does not really enjoy the experience of seeing a seven second or five second ad roll before it gets to me. So you have set out to solve this problem. And I am very curious to share with our audience what One World is and does. Um, and then I think you know, taking a little bit of um, a journey down your your founder's path. This isn't your first rodeo. You've had multiple exits before this. Um, you've been based in Silicon Valley for a while now. So you're kind of in the Mecca of this space. I am very interested to nerd out with you a little bit on polls and the use of polls and interactive uh, digital stuff. I'll just call it stuff for now because there's a lot of different things you can do. Because uh, I think it's on the rise and I think uh, it's not just because of the political climate. I think people, you know, I think users enjoy clicking on things that it's not a waste of their time. And I think advertisers have for a very long time ignored the value of the customer's actual thoughts rather than just clicking on something. So uh, very long front intro here, uh, but yeah. I'm just really excited to talk to you. So Alex, why don't you share with us right off the top what One World is, and then we can uh, nerd out for a bit. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's very interesting times when things are changing and there is a, not just the incremental value, like you mentioned programmatic, you mentioned some other tools, but I think it's actually a very disruptive time because the whole landscape, whole nature of digital media and promo promotions and advertising is changing and for good, I hope, right? Um, you mentioned, by the way, a few really good tools, which I consider next generation tools, like Active Campaign is a good one for email marketing. Of course, uh, we both uh, raising money on Republic, which is a crowdfunding platform also next generation, it's a lot of benefits there. And very similarly, One World is disruptive technology in the advertising and engagement space. And to simplify it, I can 
maybe characterize one world as a combination of advertising and research blended together. Because I think that's the key. Engagement is the key. You have to engage with people before you advertise to them. That's a fundamental uh, principle which we follow. And I think it's um, really what really helps us to move things forward and get some traction above and beyond just traditional digital advertising. Because we believe that first you need to start a conversation with your readers. And the best way to do it is ask a question about the article they just read. And of course, that gives you a whole new dimension of the world because now people are consuming information, they express their reaction to it. And there could be a very interesting scenarios developing out of this because you can continue conversations into more questions. It could be some research angle. You can advertise to them something that is relevant and contextual in this conversation. That's number two. You can incentivize people actually, we'll talk about this for sure and for the activities and those retention value for the publishers where this conversation happens. So we all about conversations, right? Versus buy me, buy me, buy me from digital advertising. And you're right, everybody has ad blockers today, pretty much all professionals or young generation, all millennials have ad blockers. And so it ha has to be a different approach altogether to the way how we do promotion online. So, yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more with you, obviously. And this has been something that, you know, for me dates back to, uh, let's say 2012 to be generous. I guess I, I don't count my thoughts on the theory before I was trying to make money talking about it. Uh, so 2012, mm -hmm. you know, I, I started working with a lot of companies in the news and, and media world, whether it's Sun-Times, Tribune and others, and they just mm -hmm. didn't understand it. I was telling them like, they're like, oh, don't worry. We move from newspaper to digital and we run ads like a newspaper. And I was like, that that's not going to work. Um, like literally after the the wave of newspaper people who are 70 years old die, you're done. And unfortunately for them, I was right. And I, I think, you know, when I look at what you guys are doing, and I, I just want to make sure that the audience understands it, um, you know, we're, we're talking here about not putting a digital ad up that says Nike. We're talking about putting potentially ads up that say, you know, what is your you know, what are the type of shoes you wear when you run or how often do you exercise or what are some of the things you, you value? Um, and those are the pieces of information that if Nike is the, call it the payer or the buyer of this, this poll, uh, there is an impression with Nike's name on it, of course, that they value. And I'm sure there's retracking and, you know, retargeting and other capabilities. But what they really got out of this was they found a pixel attached to a user, attached to a profile who said, I run at night. And if I run at night, that means they need to have a certain type of shoe and certain type of gear that reflects or whatever. That's very important information for a company like Nike. And if the company is sophisticated enough to farm that information and, and actually use it, uh, it's dangerous in a good way. It's, it's a super powerful right. tool. And it, it also is an engaged user who did not feel like they were basically annoyed uh, with a click ad or something that they were really had no intention of getting. Now it's like, oh yeah, shit, I, I'm happy to share with Nike that I want shoes that do this. So maybe can you walk us through um, both as a, a customer, like I'm, I'm buying, I'm signing up to work on One World's platform uh, and also maybe an end user, like if the people I'm intending to target, what the experience looks like. Right. Yeah, you just made a very good example because we do want to engage in conversation so first and foremost, there's always a question about what you like or what is uh, your preference under current circumstances. It could be some really unrelated to the product question, by the way, too. Like, for example, what are your plans about purchasing something new, not necessarily a specific brand or specific product, but just trying to uh, research into what people are up to at this very moment in this specific context. 
And then, yes, it could be more targeted when you bring up some specific uh, promotion of some product through the series of questions. It's not just one question, by the way, right? It could be a series, we call them chain of polls, which are intelligently linked to each other. So for example, you can go through a few answers uh, that uh, the system receives, and then you'll be presented with the re most relevant advertising. And uh, there could be different formats. We actually support all combinations of interactive and steady content. So it could be a poll and a, and a banner next to it. So people can see the banner while they're going through the nice experience. Could be a quiz, by the way. So you conclude with uh, some recommendation, depending on how you answer the questions. It could be three different recommendations or three different products and are very targeted. And then when you transition, you actually get something that is really a good match for your current needs. It could be a format of uh, primary advertising like debate. I can give you an example of a very recent case. One of our biggest uh, publishers in our network, Newsweek, they really like the idea of primary advertising during big events, like in our case, presidential debates or vice president debates recently. And this is a highly engaged uh, area in the site where a lot of people coming in and watching the story and development. And of course, advertising on this page is super uh, valuable. And if you construct this advertising, for example, there's a discussion about the jobs and who's going to fix economy and how. And then they have, for example, offer from a company that offers you to get trained and change your career right under the circumstances. So it's not only engaging, but it's also super relevant and hyper-targeted, as we say, in advertising. And you're right, the, the brand will get additional attention just because it's very organic. I call it organic experience. That's the key difference between traditional advertising and what we have to offer. But it's all starts and ends with the question and results of the question. So uh, when you talk about having banners on it, so your widgets that you're putting out there essentially circumvent the ad blockers in the sense that they have a banner attached to the widget. Is that accurate? Or if I was, uh, if I had an ad blocker up and now I'm a customer and I had the ad blocker up and I got your quiz, would it not, would it still block the, the banners or no? Yeah, the two cases actually just described because if there's a poll and there is a banner next to it, the banner part will be blocked. The poll part yeah. will still survive, which still allows you to go through a series of questions and get some valuable data. But the quiz yeah. is a great workaround for this problem because if you go through the quiz questions and it complete, essentially it's a lead generation. It's not even a banner ad because yeah. when you finish your quiz, you'll get recommendation about what is the best product for you, maybe promo code, which gives you a discount. And then you click yeah. on your results and you transition to landing page. So it's a different type of advertising altogether and it's not blocked. Yeah. So I, I have to tell you, I, I, what I like about this, and this has been a conversation I've had with sponsors for years now, is I basically have to tell them, active campaign included here. So I, I, if they're actually listening to this show, then I apologize. Um, you know, I had to explain to them that I, I will put active campaign at the lead at the top of my podcast. And, and yes, I hope people listening to this show, check out after active campaign, cause it's awesome, mm -hmm. but yeah. it's just brand awareness and the, the, the likelihood of a, of a customer being like, Oh, I was going to do this, but now I'm going to go over here and I'm going to punch in activecampaign.com slash technori. Cause you know, that's, that's what I want to do. It's not very high. And like, even in, in click ads, like people, most click ads, the clicks are actually unintended. It's someone trying to click the X to get out of it. And they mm -hmm. click on an end on your page. So it's not actually helpful. What it is helpful is me giving you a lead. Like that's what you want. The impressions exactly. and that's stuff is, is just yes. window dressing. And so in this right. case, you're doing essentially what I'm doing with Active Campaign, just saying like, I'm going to give you a use case. I'm going to give you valuable information. And I'm going to give you the ability to retarget these people when they land on your page. So the highest engaged user should be the highest conversion rate. So in, in this regard, the home run is that the banner is served alongside of 
the survey or the quiz or whatever it is. But worst case scenario, if someone is, is actually into this and they answer it, they are still a very highly qualified lead. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's all about lead generation. And there are different ways of transitioning from the widget, as you rightfully said, to the landing page. And what's really important to make this transition very organic. So when you vote on the poll question and you transition to the landing page or have an offer, there's still continuity. So for example, everything you voted in the first place should be still shown in the second place. That's when we see yep. tremendous conversion rates. We just did promotion, for example, for Babylon project. It's um, our friends, uh, they do a hackathon and with a very big price. And it was uh, just a few weeks of campaign. And we demonstrated the um, conversion rates much higher than Google, Facebook, Instagram, and everybody else. If you look at the Google Analytics, one world is the very top. The only one that beats us is the direct email outreach by the organizers. But then one world is a uh, number two. And with the big uh, delta, there's uh, everything else, the legacy tools. And the reason is very simple, because we created a landing page that matched the campaign and made it like super short and sweet with the information which is very meaningful when you transition from widget to landing page. Because to your point, many people just click accidentally on the banner ad yeah. when transition, they hit it and just close it, right? And that's why there's no really return on investment for this type of advertising campaigns. What we do is opposite. We create organic experience on the first page where the widget is installed, where the experience is happening. And when we transition, we keep the information still in place about the results of the poll so people can see what they got and they see the offer and they're all related to each other. So uh, as a user, again, if I wanted to be a customer of One World, mm -hmm. I noticed that you can do sort of campaigns and you can also do self, right. sort of self-directed. Um, what is the split there? Who uses it? How does it work? What's the sort of, where do you view your core product? Yeah, good question. Because we do support both indeed. We do managed campaigns, so VIP campaigns. And that's where most of our revenue is coming from because it still requires a lot of good preparation. Get creatives right, get the landing pages right, and then run the campaign with a good media placement and proper project management and A-B test as we go. But we put in more and more effort to uh, optimize our self-service campaign, because in this case, we uh, automate quite a few processes of transitioning from taking order to execution through our network of sites. And that's our big focus actually for our company to continue growing our publishing network or the supply side. So we actually doing quite well because I'll, uh, we have a lot of good sites in the US from Newsweek and IBT to a lot of local media and uh, very strong globally. Like for example, in India, one of our close partners and publishers in the region is an investor is Times Group, which is a huge media conglomerate. Yep. And same goes on and uh, we just got a really strong operations in Africa this year, pretty much all the top sites in the uh, Western part uh, of Africa. And the uh, same goes in Asia and Europe. So we grow in our network and that's why self-service is coming to play because now we can provide more uh, value right across the world and people don't need to even work with us. They can just register, upload their creatives, provision their campaign and get going and then get report back. There's still work to do. This is a new thing for us, fairly recent, but I believe in automation and self-service is a, a good driver to grow business. But still VIP campaigns, of course, are bread and butter. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, if anyone learned anything from Snapchat uh, yesterday mm -hmm. announcing their their values, uh, the money that they're making on programmatic and on uh, you basically self-directed is absurd. Um, so I totally agree with you. I think every every person in marketing at this point is getting to a place where it's kind of an automated process. Um, so for you, though, <clears throat> excuse me, growing your business inside of the U.S. in particular, 
how hard has it been or is it, or what's the challenge around trying to grow your, your media network, like where you're actually able to get stuff posted? Interesting topic because I've seen both. Uh, sometimes it's really challenging to get publishers uh, over the hump and convince them to use our tools. And in particular, like you mentioned earlier, there's um, um, definitely uh, like legacy transition from digit from print to digital. And some of these publishers are still old-minded, right? They don't necessarily sense what is right, what is wrong in the digital world. But well, the good news is that especially since COVID-19 started, a lot of publishers, I would say, especially internationally, are super open to innovation and very quick in decision-making. We took Africa by storm, for example. We got those seven top publishers within a couple of months, but just going to one and another another. And what's interesting that they recognize the value of our core system, right? The advertising and research angles. But also since they learned we have a token economy, which is absolutely unique, that usually adds uh, additional reason to work with us and not somebody else. Because if you look at the market, yeah, I don't think any other advertising or engagement like modular engagement company with quizzes and polls have anything like us. And our token economy is a pretty important component because everybody now wants to live in a cookie-less world, right, going forward and have the people registered and be known to the system without using cookies. And almost nobody yep. has a solution. And one world does have a solution. So that also helps to answer your question because I sort of show our new leads uh, case studies with Newsweek and IBT and Times Group of India that immediately convinces them, yeah, this company is real. We work for the top tier uh, publishers in the world. And then when they started researching what else we can do well and they look at the token economy, the most innovative uh, marketeers and people in digital media they absolutely get it because that's the future. We keep hearing about cryptocurrency, internet of value, tokens, and all day long, but the very, very few use cases that are actually real and work today. Yeah. So every time we show our token economy and demonstrate that it's operational, people really incentivized <laughs> if, if they turn the switch on, that becomes a very big differentiator. So that's one of the reasons we expanded quite nicely, especially this year. I actually, I agree with you. I think there's um, a lot of misunderstanding among it's kind of surprising, actually, given that a lot of the mainstream tech derives and originates in Silicon Valley in the United States. And yet the United States customer base, their understanding of cookies and their understanding of like how you're allowed to use them here versus everywhere else in the world. And like what the what that actually means and like how, you know, even a year from now or two years from now, or depending on what happens in November, five years from now, whatever it is, um, you know, we're going to be in a world, I hope soon, where the US, like Europe and others, do not allow you to track every fucking thing you do. And exactly. if you're an advertiser and you don't understand that, you're in deep doo doo. And I, I really think that the token piece of this is important, but I think it's one of those things that, and I, I'm sure you understand this far better than I do. Um, it's a tough sell to people who don't understand it. Like they have a hard time understanding the concept of Bitcoin, let mm -hmm. alone using token to supplant cookie and how it can actually shore up the system so that people aren't, you know, basically ripping your information off and selling it to the black market. Right. It's a very good point. And exactly. We don't sell blockchain or tokens. We sell loyalty program because that, that sounds much, you know, cleaner and understandable. <laughs> and you're right. Majority, yeah. majority of publishers in the US or even just, you know, people in various branches of business, they're still too far away from crypto. And as somebody who's been in crypto five years, I understand uh, that the biggest problem is uh, kind of explaining to normal humans what it is. 
And I think it's like TCPIP for internet transition, right? Back in 1990s, when we were switching from offline to online, you probably don't want to talk to people in language of what is TCPIP and how this protocol works. You're going to confuse them and that's it, right? Yeah. So it's very much the same thing now with the blockchain and token economy. You don't want to go too deep at what is blockchain, how the blocks are built, why they cannot be changeable. You just tell people, okay, would you like to have a loyalty program for your readers that they can create an account and actually earn something, get rewarded for what they do with you? And you can solve your retention problem that immediately resonates because everybody has this problem right all digital publishers they're losing their audiences they go to facebook and twitter and other social media and they consume news there which creates a really bad situation because content creators traditional publishers they do all the work right they pay journalists yeah. they do all this work to keep the content and all the money are made by google and facebook and the like so that's definitely the wrong picture of the world and we want to fix it so that's how we explain it to them saying would you like to retain your customers would you like to have communication channel to your customers? Because what happens, right? As soon as you incentivize folks on your site, you have to create an account for them, which means they register with email address. So you immediately open line of communication. You're not dependent on cookie anymore. You can start doing newsletters like through active campaign tool, for example, here's a play for your product uh, right here in this use case. And then everybody's happy because I'll call it triangle, right? You have publishers, advertisers, and audiences. So people are getting incentivized, they benefit. And cryptocurrency is pretty much cash nowadays, right? Have you seen this PayPal announced even going to crypto yep. today? I mean, even as dinosaurs are moving. I mean, what you can tell about the like real innovative companies. And then second part, you know, of course, are publishers. They fix multiple problems, right? They get rid of cookies. That's definitely ready for tomorrow. It's like an innovative angle. They um, increase revenue because when people are registered and loyal, they keep coming more often. They spend more time on the site, which translates to additional revenue. And most importantly, advertisers, at the end of the day, they pay in the money, right? They're the source of revenue for everybody. And they, of course, are happy because now they have more understandable tar targeted audience. They know who these people are because they're registered. You know what they like and don't like. One world, by the way, just a layer of data. It's the first hand data, but we're not the only one, right? Obviously, there are many other layers because publishers have some knowledge about the audience. We contribute to this. There could be some DMPs involved, but then advertisers get better results of their campaign because it's more relevant that uh, includes data layer and they get better return investment at the end so that's why i call it win-win-win situation when things are falling one world kind of order not the legacy one yeah i mean i think you know we look at this at least from my side as sort of a, a utopian media stratosphere where um you know right now it's lopsided if i it doesn't matter if i'm a publisher or if i'm a business I basically, every single time I want to dip my hand into acquiring new users, I have to go and pay Facebook or Google or whoever it is to get them. And if I want to re-get them, I have to pay them again and maybe a little bit less money because of whatever, uh, you know, because it, they're already part of the audience or whatever. I, I don't need to find them or so to speak uh, versus in the future, ideally, I may still need to pay to find new users on Facebook or wherever they are. But then once I find them once, I don't have to pay anymore and I can create my own content and I can drive my own content through email and I can create and make decisions about the audience based on information that I accumulated through something like one world. So now I'm not going to Facebook and saying I need, you know, 75 filters. So now I'm paying $75 per user. I can just get a broad group of people. They become customers. I know a lot about them and I can re retarget them on my own instead of having to pay for it. Absolutely. And you just nailed it because yeah, people on both ends, right? Publishers that want these people, uh, readers come to their site and companies like us that contribute to the solution. We do not want Google and Facebook to control ID of these people. 
because that's completely wrong, right? And they, like you said, no. yeah, you, have, you have to come back and pay every time you want to engage. People should have their own ID online, which is not corporate ID of Google or Gmail no. or Facebook and so on. And that's how we're building it. And I think this partially will be solved by decentralization of all these activities because people have ID that can use in various places, right? Their own ID, blockchain-based ID. There are quite a few protocols already developed and some of them will be mature and become more common than the others, but it's definitely going to happen. And in this case, it's going to be your ID and my ID when we come to any site and engage and get rewarded or get some other benefits of being there, right? Instead of using Gmail or Facebook in these places, which yep. they're trying to force us today. So it's, um, first of all, independence, right, on the internet. So you can make your own uh, policies and your own rules. Like, for example, people can work together and uh, make money on data and services instead of just Google eating our lunches. Uh, there's yep. a company called Ocean Protocol in Germany. There's Protocol Labs. There are a few others. Essentially, it's decentralized data management. That's exactly how it should be. Then you voluntarily can participate or not participate in some markets. And if you make your attention available to advertisers or any offers that you would like to see, you can be rewarded for that. So that's kind of the future, right? This ID management will be done in a different way. It's attention of people will be managed in different ways and have more control over what you do online and how you manage your settings and your behavior. No, I, I listen, I could not agree more with you. And this is a topic as a, a media person who wants to make money at the success of other media companies, but also as a person who owns businesses. Uh, I also want to make money there. And it's a, it's a different mix, but it's nonetheless uh, incredibly important. And I, I've just found that unlike ever before, like I used to spend all my time trying to sell people on like, why we're a good fit or why your brand and our brand will work. And now I spend the majority of my time trying to explain to them that like, we reduce the cost of CAC because we know who our users are and we have them already engaging right. on our platform. We know who they are versus everyone else who basically just puts ads and shit in front of you and just hopes for the best. And I, I find it very, very complicated and difficult to sell uh, our, our media and sponsorship partnerships because of that very reason. There's a lot of uncertainty right now around what Facebook does. I mean, you've got Congress people a year ago saying, how do you make money? It's baffling to me how uneducated our market is on this. But that's a whole other podcast for another day. So uh, with you, I would just love to know and, and share with the audience here a little bit, your background, uh, how you got here, what, what drove you to decide to try to take this exact business on and why, why you think it can be very successful? Yeah, thank you for asking this. Yeah, I came to Silicon Valley in 1986. It feels like Asian days. And initially I was involved in broadband or transitioned from the legacy internet to the new one. So I worked in telecom and then broadband services variety of um, startups actually and I was lucky enough to see three of them really came to fruition and uh, very nice exits. I was for seven years in one startup called TwoWire and AT&T and other telecoms were my big customers. It was both hardware and software. So we essentially transitioned people to the fast internet which I really enjoyed and everything I produced as a product manager I tested my own home which really gives you a good sense of uh, accomplishment when you see something working better 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 every year. The company was acquired in 2006 uh, by a con con consortium of AT&T, Alcatel, and Telmex, the Mexican telecom. It was my first exit in Silicon Valley, very enjoyable. And not just about the money, but the sense of accomplishment when you work hard for seven years and then something good happens to you. And one of the founders of Tuwai, he invited me to his next startup, which is a smart home solution. And it was a really interesting experience. It took only four years for us to reach a really nice exit. But it was a super stressful year because we hit the 2008 crisis and almost died. The company ran out of 
we literally were living for a few months without salaries and uh, left most of our employees and then recovered, rebuilt the company, uh, brought to Verizon as a customer, as an investor, which were my good friends from Brom. I worked with Verizon for many years and uh, we pretty much launched a smart home solution with them together at 4G launch. And then it was a, like a moment of glory because we got investment from them uh, fast and got acquired in 2010 by Motorola Mobility. And then uh, Motorola was acquired by next year. So it's a double exit. And uh, yeah. I, I consider the story like a lot of suffering and a happy ending at the end. But you never yeah. knew in the startup, startup world, it could be either some companies die and like nine out of 10. And so to answer your question, and then when we were at Google for this two years of retention, because they don't pay you all the money, right? You usually have to wait for two yeah. years to or get the no. full amount. Right, exactly. And it's split it when you get uh, only 30% after the first year of retention and the other 70% after the two. I barely survived these two years. I don't like big corporations. I, I consider people working big corporations kind of on the path to degradation because they're very limited in what and how they can do. I, really I think they plan on that, by the way. I think that's part of the, like when you talk about these exits and I, I talk about this with a lot of founders who've had exits, I swear the earnout is less about trust and like making sure that the deal will take. And it is more about knowing that guys like you and me will get shit canned in a matter of months and we'll never right. collect the rest of our earnout. Like they know that. And so they're like, oh, right. you get 70% in two years. It's only two years. It's not a big deal. You're never going to make it. <laughs> right. That's absolutely true. Because yeah, and we, big corporations have a choice to make, right? Either you work on the product and work on internal politics and trying to satisfy your boss, your boss's boss. And there's an endless number of managers and who, who knows what they're doing. I'm really about uh, like people that take their dream or whatever their vision and then execute and, and make it happen. The satisfaction is so much higher than anything you will ever accomplish in a big corporation. Doesn't matter what the name is behind it. And so, yeah, to, yeah. To, that was an interesting moment because when I decided to start my own company at that point, I actually looked at multiple ideas and some of them went back to the same area of expertise. I had broadband services, smart home, internet of things, IoT was really popular, but I'm, I kind of instinctively thought that the internet and development of applications and online experiences and media, that would be the hottest thing. And um, I really like online content, uh, all these nice applications on the internet. And I was looking for the, what is the biggest gap? What is the piece that missing that I actually can fix a real problem? And guess what? It came across like, you know, sometimes we get in a sleep, your brain works differently and you come up, oh my God, this is my idea. So I thought about the, the um, internet as a two-way street and I really kind of realized this is not quite there because we consume information every single day, but there's not much feedback collection, right? I don't know what people really think. I read something controversial. I'm really... Um, care about this. I want to see what other people think about the topic. I can't, right? Because you may see some commenting system, but comments don't tell you the real picture, right? Yeah. It could be just just one guy. People or, love to troll people. in a comment. They don't actually tell exactly. the truth. Exactly. And it's not, it's, there's no, it's not meaningful, right? And whatever, reading the comments, but I like to see quantified information. Okay, here's the article and here's the question and people express themselves and you can see how they think. And the second piece, which I consider very important, I always wanted to see two sides of the story. I'm never satisfied to see one side of the story. I think it's our biggest problem is polarization because two sides or two parties just scream at each other and don't listen to, to each other. And there is no civilized discussion going on. That was my second piece of idea saying, okay, let's not just ask people a question, but also give them two opinions about this and try to bring people that civilized and then actually can express their thoughts and they can bring some arguments. I call them data points. So there's a question opinions and their data points to support them. And then let people decide what they think about this very matter. 
And we're doing it, by the way. That's our format called debates, when we present both the questions and two opinions. And people can go in rounds. The experts can go in rounds and reply to each other and essentially build the story. That's what's the original idea of one rule, to create a civilized feedback relation discussion that is attached to the content. And that's very much what we're doing today. We have enormous uh, uh, experience and data now accumulated over these years, what people think of various topics on different sites in different contexts. Eventually, it might become almost like a knowledge repository of uh, extreme value because we're not on the right, we're not on the left, we're neutral, of course, right? We want to see opinions across the spectrum. And that really brings the value because you can see what people really think, not just on one buy site or another buy site, but really on the whole one world network. And it becomes a tremendous value from both people who can produce content because they see their audience, right? Advertisers because they can see what these people like and don't like. And of course, from readers themselves because they have a whole new dimension in data consumption. Totally. I, I completely align with this. I, and I, I think it's, it's kind of funny. Like you tell the story like, oh, I was in IoT and it's sort of like the broadband shift over in different internet. In a lot of ways, this is just that, just like the modern version of that. Like we were talking to um, <clears throat> Jan Pritzker from Swan Bitcoin and uh, not to go down the Bitcoin cryptocurrency thing, but he was just like, you don't understand like the way that we want to shop and the way that we do things. You cannot have people making millions and billions, frankly, uh, microtransactions that don't settle for five days. You you can't operate that way. And so he didn't really look at it as a Bitcoin thing as much as it was like a, a way of enabling currency and enabling transactions. Similarly, we talked to, he was on uh, Republic as well, uh, nano VMs, it's just like, it's a new highway. Like the, you're, you're driving on a country road and I'm trying to build a freeway. And, you know, so I actually, I totally get your uh, sort of evolution of your career up to this point. So uh, now when we look at it, we're going to look back at the company here and the opportunity. <clears throat> so you are currently, like I said at the top, a little over $230,000 invest in this. Uh, it sounds like you've raised capital from other, uh, other sources, accredited sources. Right now, you guys have a value cap of $45 million, 20% discount, minimum $100 investment for those who are paying attention to this. And I will obviously, we'll have this in the newsletter. We'll have our pitch review coming out after this. Uh, you've been profitable since 2017 and you've generated a little over $2 million in revenue in 2019. And obviously 2020 is a different world. Sometimes it's a good thing for you. Sometimes it's not a good thing for you. I'd just like for you to sell me on this investment. Like explain to me uh, and to everyone else who's listening to this, you know, the, the, the value, and this, I'm not the first person to say this, you know, I read this on the comment section of your page. It's high. It's a, it's a high value, but I'm also a person who raises money at high values too. So I, I get it. Um, explain to me the opportunity. What does it look like to invest in your company? And, and what is, uh, if, if I'm an investor, what goals should I be aligned with that are with you? Your goals are to exit in a certain amount of time at a certain value. What are you targeting? Uh, and why is 45 million a good price for me to get in now? Yeah, all good questions. Thank you. We essentially in transition from round A to round B. That's where we stand because we finished our round A in uh, early February of this year. Yeah, and it was really a nice lineup of um, both our traditional VCs that already participated in previous rounds, including Times Group of India, which is a really big media holding. And a few things- How much have, have you raised so far? Just capital yes, from it's a, More than 12 million in equity. Okay. More than 12 okay. total, yeah. And uh, it's, we have very diversified cap tables. So we have some micro VCs, we have family offices, angel groups, some really good names like Curiosity Forum or Broccoli Angel Network. 
Yeah, so this is a company that has a variety of people that not only invested, but also helped in our business, which is very important, yep. right? So for example, Times Group is a tremendous partner for us and developing not just India, but globally. And so to your point about valuation, I look at this from three perspectives, right? Revenue component, strategic fit into the market and potential to grow and comparables. And what you can see probably on the market, if people watching MediaTek and what's happening in this area, it's a huge trend. The modular solutions, they can be embedded into other people's sites, not on necessarily poll questions like in our case, but it could be commenting systems. It could be some interesting engagement experiences like gamified experiences. Yeah. There are many companies in this space that are already kind of ahead of us because they were founded earlier, including our good friends from OpenWeb, which used to be called Spot.im. This commenting system is everywhere nowadays. Like on Newsweek, we uh, installed side by side. There's a poll question for one world, and there's a commenting system from OpenWeb. These guys are already reaching unicorn status, and they're pretty much our future, right? Because they started a couple of years ahead of us. So we can see it very clearly. And that's how investors think. They also look at comparables. Not look at where the puck is today, like you say in hockey, yeah. right? But then the puck is going to be a few seconds from now. And that's yeah. if people really analyze the industry, they can see it very clearly where one world is going. Because, and also we have very differentiated component in the token economy, which is quite unique. That's a huge differentiation angle. That's why we get in Africa and Caribbean and some parts of Europe right now very, very rapidly. We keep adding more and more clients every day. We have a webinar tomorrow, by the way, uh, that's announced on our Republic page. So we welcome everybody to join and listen in for our success stories. There's more and more of them. And that's why we consider this valuation very reasonable. We're essentially validating price going from round A to round B. It's just a convertible note towards the round B. Okay. This 20% discount makes it less than 45, obviously, right? It's more like 36. <laughs> valuation, which I consider to be very attractive, actually, given the state of our company and the state of our product and especially the state of the market. Yeah. I mean, I think that's well said. I usually uh, don't get into the defending the the valuation on the shows. I think I am a little with you only because I think you're uh, an entrepreneur who's been through this. You've had exits. A lot of times this conversation is very one-sided because the entrepreneur is new and they're like, this is what we, this is what we settled on. And it's kind of like, eh, that's not a great answer. Um, I, I tend to agree with you. I think the globalization of your product, um, the being a step ahead of the token, I think is super important and should be considered. Um, you know, and the other thing is like aligning with the founder, a lot of investors, and this is talking to a lot of retail investors. I don't think that they are nuanced. Or I know they're not nuanced in the exit and they understand they're like, oh, they go public and that might be eight years and that might be the end track, but not always. And you explained in your, your case, you had a double exit just something that actually has happened to me. So I'm familiar with this. So like, I, I want people to understand when they look at this, like, would I prefer to invest at 30 million value cap with a discount? Yes, I would, because I, I like to see that you could have an exit for 50 million or 60 or 80 or hundred and it be a, a win for everybody. But if your alignment is to, to achieve unicorn status and to grow this business and have several follow-on rounds from here, 30 million, 45 million, it's all relative to a billion. Exactly. It doesn't, exactly. it doesn't matter. And so like, I, I, I would, I would, and I will say this in my review. I will, I will share this. I, I like the company. Uh, I totally love the market and I understand it very, very well. Um, and I think from an investor standpoint, this is one of those opportunities where you look at it and you go, do I want to believe that this company can become a unicorn? And I want to invest in it at that point. Or are you someone who's like, I want to put a thousand dollars in and watch you sell it for 50 million, in which case maybe that's not the deal for you. So uh, I, I totally get it. Right. These are good dilemmas, yeah. And we did some recent study of comparable exits on our market. And if you look at the acquisitions of companies of our type and our life uh, stage, 
uh, something between 50 and maybe 140 are the typical range. Yep. I have a whole list oh. of these exits, actually. I think we will present them on the, at the webinar. Like a very typical price will be uh, something like 90 million. That's what I see all the time. Yep. And the companies acquired by AOL and Pinterest and other media tech companies. The good news for one world, we have many more uh, big partners that we work with. We partner uh, Amazon AWS for many years, work with Amazon Moments, for example. We, uh, Microsoft was our paying customer. Google was our paying customer. We work with Algorand, which is the biggest North American blockchain solution as of today, and so on. The list is very big. And it's MediaTek, some big data companies, some blockchain and crypto services companies. So we have a variety of partners in the space, depending on the part of our solution. And all of them at some point might be in discussions with us, very much like we did in the previous company. When we sold yeah. our company to Mochol Mobility, we actually talked about like four Verizon incumbents and they were all interested. They just Mochol gave us the best price. And that's what I'm always doing. I'm building a relationship with the potential buyers early in the game, actually literally from day one. Because the very first week of the job and back smart. in 2006 when I joined, yeah, smart smart home company. The very first week I called my Verizon contacts and told them, hey guys, I just switched from two Y to four home. We built a smart home solution. I know you're interested. Guess what? We got the first demo in two weeks. So we showed conceptual demo. It was like, and then it took us two and a half years to get investment from them. And then four years to get uh, the exit. But yeah, that's pretty much what I'm doing at One World, building all the strategic partnerships very much you know, from the very it's, beginning. It's super, it's super smart. I mean, the, the companies that I've acquired, you know, over the last few years, almost every one of my had conversations with who I thought would acquire them. And it went backwards. Like, okay, now, now right. that I know how this should and could go, I've got the relationships. Now I'm going to go find a company that I can help build up to exit. I think <clears throat> it's just an important thing for people to listen to. I think, I think it, um, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's one of those things where if it, it's, you, you said earlier the, the, that year was really hard prior to the double exit. And mm -hmm. I think maybe the best way to explain this to a, a person who's not an entrepreneur, but is an investor is you're setting a company on fire, like a candle on both ends mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. they're both burning. And if it becomes combustible at the end as a unicorn, you sell the entire thing. Great. But if one fire is rapidly outpacing the other, you're a different act. You're a different acquisition. So if you guys internally, the technology and the token and the globalization, if that is the most valuable piece, then Times of India is going to want to purchase you because they've already invested. So that, that might be your $90 million exit or, or Amazon or whoever the partner might be. However, if on the other end, the candle is burning equally fast and you're growing uh, publishing and brands and partners and users, uh, paying customers exceptionally fast, you may not want to sell to Times of India at 90 million because you see 300 million on the other end of this. Exactly. And you if you can it. blow them both up, that's right. your billion. So that's I just think it's important <laughs> for people to pay attention to that. Right, right. You should join me for the board meeting because that's pretty much my <laughs> words. That's how I explain to my board members, yeah, what's my strategy is. Yes, we can do a 19 million exit. That's actually no problem at all. If I start the due diligence process with the invest bankers today, I think it will take us for maximum four months to get the due deal done and get some offers on the table. But that's not our goal exactly. Yeah, we want to go to nine yeah. digit for sure, maybe 10 digit. That's really the real goal. Yeah, well, and, that, and that's the risk of, of going after the 10 digit and the, the nine digit is sometimes shit happens in the, along the way and then you go south. But bottom line is uh, exactly. it's a very interesting company and I think it's, it's interesting for a lot of investors. So uh, I appreciate you taking the time. Obviously, as I mentioned at the top of the show, you can go to republic.co slash digit one world dash online, check out their campaign page, 
Awesome. Alex, thank you so much for, uh, for joining the show. Well, thank you. It was a great conversation. Thank you for having this uh, full context of our business. That was great talking to you. Thanks much. Of course. Yeah. That, that's our, that's our goal. Like I said, at the show here for everyone listening, you can go to techno.com, subscribe to the newsletter. We will do a breakdown on companies like one world. And of course, if you follow me anywhere, whether it's Technoria or at Katoon yeah. on all things social, boom, that's a wrap. Yeah.